0: 2020 will be remembered for many things. For us here at The Next Reel, it will be the year the theaters closed, movie release dates were pushed back, productions were shut down, and studios experimented with new distribution strategies. What none of us could have anticipated was the diversity and quality of films that would be nominated for Best Picture by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. There are three contenders that I want to talk to you about today in this special episode of Three of a Kind. This is America. On December 19th, 2020, Andy brought Chloe Zhao's film Nomad Land as his SatMat trailer pick. Andy, Mandy, and Tommy discussed Zhao's use of real people in the film, whether this is a life-affirming film, and that it appeared to have what they called a documentary feel. There was also some speculation regarding scenes that appeared to be filmed in an Amazon warehouse facility and whether this was filmed with or without Amazon's approval. In February 2021, the film board assembled to discuss Nomadland, and the consensus among Andy, Tommy, and myself was that this was an extraordinary film. As I have had time to reflect on the film, I find that its objective approach to the story, which I believe is one of its great strengths, allows the foundational elements of this story to be easily avoided or forgotten by viewers. This is a non-confrontational film, yet it is a film that should be generating discussions across this country. The film opens with on-screen text telling us, On January 31, 2011, due to a reduced demand for sheetrock, U.S. gypsum shut down its plant in Empire, Nevada after 88 years. By July, the Empire zip code, 89405, was discontinued. End quote. Narratively, this provides us the context for Fern's situation. We understand how she has come to be living out of a van with a significant amount of her possessions in storage and working as part of the Amazon camper force. Through Fern, we encounter the long-term consequences of the 2008 recession— Aging boomers that had counted on investments and retirement plans to carry them through their golden years now found themselves facing an uncertain future. I don't know whether Bob Wells' rubber-tramp rendezvous and the culture of van-dwelling would have become as large as it is today if not for the 2008 financial collapse and recession. Wells claims that this lifestyle is a rejection of the 9-to-5 grind that is the norm in society. I can't help but wonder if it is a lifestyle that he rejected not of his own choice, but because consequences pushed him to the edge of it, and he embraced that movement and continued along that path. But not all of the nomads fern encounters are of her generation. She also encounters a group of 20-somethings. Is this representative of the generation that has accrued monumental student loan debt and is unable to earn a living wage that allows them to also pay off their debt? What we see is two groups, one that should be starting their careers and those that should be rewarded for their contribution. They're pushed out and unable to sustain the American dream that is embedded in our sense of national identity. To her credit, Zhao doesn't force us to confront these issues. Rather, she delicately weaves a narrative that shows us everything we need to begin asking ourselves questions. This film doesn't take a specific point of view or express an opinion about the nomads that we encounter. For me, that's the perfect invitation for an unbiased discussion with friends and neighbors about this film to explore whether this is a life-affirming story in the face of adversity, and if the America we live in today is the one we expected to grow old in. At the opposite end of the spectrum is Emerald Fennel's promising young woman. Where Zhao presents her audience with an objective approach to her subject matter, Fennel clearly has a message to convey to her audience. From its opening dialogue, it is clear that this is a film about the hypocrisy, double standards, and empowerment of men at the expense of women. At first, this appears to be simply a darkly comic tale of a woman who has taken it upon herself to confront men regarding their treatment of intoxicated women. However, it soon becomes apparent that this isn't satire. This isn't dipping a toe into the ridiculous to make a point. Cassie isn't a 21st century avenger out to show men the error of their ways. She is a broken woman that isn't capable of functioning as an adult. She is 30 years old, living at home with her parents, working in a low-paying hourly job. Unlike the young nomads of Zhao's film, Cassie isn't a financial victim of a crumbling economy— She claims that she is very capable of having the storybook life, but says that's not what she wants. Cassie is haunted by a tragedy in her past and is incapable of moving forward in her life. As we go along with her on her nighttime missions, or as she confronts former friends that were in her life at the time of the tragic loss of her close friend Nina, we see just how damaged Cassie is. Although much attention is being paid to Cassie's solution— and I wonder how long after nightlife resumes in a post-COVID America that we will hear stories of copycats using Kathy's methodology to turn the tables on predatory men. Specifically, the ending of the film has strongly divided audiences, and I fear that we're missing something important that is right in front of us. Fennel has crafted this film in such a way that the audience is able to easily identify and empathize with Cassie. That lack of distance precludes us from really seeing her. There are moments near the end of the film where we are able to step back and see how far Cassie has gone, but this really obscures the true victim of the story, Cassie herself. She is a young woman that has struggled with grief and mental health for nearly a decade. She is a silent victim, suffering quietly in the presence of her family. Promising Young Woman is a brightly colored spectacle, loudly and vividly making a scene about the abuse occurring to women daily. That is what everyone is focusing on. But we can't forget that at its core is the silently suffering Cassie. For every Nina that is in the news, there is a Cassie filled with guilt and frustrated that no one hears her. As a father of two adult daughters, this scares me more than anything. This is not the America I wanted for them. As I record this in late March 2021, we are beginning to confront an epidemic of anti-Asian hate and violence in America. In the midst of this comes Lee Isaac Chung's film Minari. I cannot think of a recent film that better captures a realistic portrayal of a family's struggle to achieve their dream. There is no heightened melodrama here. This isn't an emotionally manipulative film that drives you to tears, either of joy or sorrow. It tells an honest and compelling story of one family during one summer. Like Nomadland and Promising Young Woman, Minari is a film that has stuck with me long after I watched it. I can't explain what it is about this film that makes it stand out above other films this year. Perhaps it's the simplicity. Perhaps it's the nostalgia for a simpler life. Set in the 1980s, there are no cell phones and social media creating conflict and tension in this family and its rural setting provides us with a quiet and calm environment. Based on events from Chung's childhood, his heart is apparent in every frame of this film. The honest treatment of the family makes the story relatable. Jacob and Monica don't have a perfect marriage. There is a question of whether or not they will stay together. But this isn't the focus of the story. But yet it also is. It isn't a stereotypical story of struggling farmer versus the elements, or the bank, or a story of outsiders versus the rural locals. Yet all of those elements are present, and Minari avoids cliches and favors people over story. This isn't a story about characters that are members of a family. The family is the main character, and we watch this character change and grow. It's an unexpected pleasure. Minari is an American story of a family struggling to achieve their dream. It represents all that we hope and dream for. Unfortunately, in 2020, it seems that the fact that nearly all the dialogue in this film is spoken in Korean leads people to think of this as a foreign film. To me, there is nothing more American than a story about a family that came here seeking opportunity and giving us an honest portrayal of their successes and challenges. It's a relatable story that resonates with the ideals we are taught this nation was founded on. The fact that this all-American family from the 80s would be subjected to the violence and hateful rhetoric that has infected America in 2020 clearly demonstrates how far we have strayed from our national identity. 2020 gave us the films that show us America as it is. We can let them be entertaining distractions from the troubles of our own lives – there's plenty that we want to temporarily escape from, that's for sure – or we can engage with this art. Let it interrogate us about what we have come to accept as 21st century America and whether we are content with it, or if we wish to begin having honest conversations with ourselves, our families, friends, and neighbors. For me, these films serve as a sign that we have strayed from who we are as a nation. It is time to take a long, hard look in the mirror these films provide for us and ask whether we want to say, This is America, or if we should be asking, Is this America?